0: me out there, maybe hear me in the lobby, go ahead and come on in and find a seat, please. Welcome back from Thanksgiving. Go ahead and find your seats, please, and turn your Bibles to Revelation 22. Uh, We're going through Revelation 22, verses 1 to 9 today. We are one more uh, portion, and we'll finish the chapter next week. So we're looking forward to closing out Revelation. It has been, I think, 33 sermons through the book of Revelation. And God has been revealing much of himself to us. So turn your Bibles to Revelation 22, verses 1 through 9. This is God's holy inspired word. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. God. This is his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these repeated visions. God, so often that the world can cloud our eyes, can cloud our vision, can cloud our thoughts, our thinking, our minds. God, with the hustle and bustle, the busyness of life, the things, concerns can be like weeds that choke out your word. God, I pray that you would give us fresh vision to see this vision of yours, to see how it applies to our lives, to be able to apply it to our lives by your spirit, by your grace. God, would you awaken us to the reality that we're living for? Will we sleep no longer, Lord? Will we awaken to what you have in store for us? And will we live joyfully for that today? God, I pray that by your spirit, you enable that for each and every one of us. And Lord, by your spirit, enable me to preach your word. Enable all of us to hear your word. And God, I pray that you would give fresh water of life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I opened the sermon last week, talking about that we want to, often we want to go home, we want to be at home. That's what the Thanksgiving holiday so, so frequently is about, is us having nostalgia. You know, many here spent hours this week driving busy roads to go back home. But in a sense, you know, you can never go home here. Not trying to be depressing. This is post Thanksgiving holiday. Some of you are probably struggling with that anyway. But what we remember as home is as most of the time has changed, Right? The, the umps family field behind our house that we used to play in when we were kids, it's not there anymore. The, the hill that they had and the big oak tree at the top and there was a barrel in the winter time, we'd roll up to the top and we'd light fires in the barrel and, and then we'd go sledding down the hill. That's all gone. Not just the barrel, but the hill, the, the tree. It's all gone where I spent endless summer days running and laughing Now there is a boring development. (laughs) The apple orchards, they were like a playground back behind my neighborhood, and it was... It was amazing. You could run through the apple orchards. We would ride our motorcycles through there. And then in the springtime, it would glow with this, this vibrant pink blossoms that would be everywhere, this, this beautiful pink and green. And they would celebrate with this massive parade. And, and so the apple blossoms would smell wonderful. This fresh scent would waft through the breeze. In the springtime, you'd open your windows and it smelled wonderful. That's all gone. Not trying to be depressing here. The marsh where we used to play and catch frogs, that's now a parking lot. The forest that we used to build forts in is now a hospital and a bunch of buildings. Friends and family have spread. They've made their own lives in different places. In a lot of ways, hometowns like mine are better off. There's progress. But the place I used to once call home only exists in my memories. That's probably true for a lot of you too. You can try to go back home, but you never really can, because it's never the same as you remember it. In a sense, I want to go back to what I perceive as my own little slice of Eden. You ever want to do that? You ever want to go back to your own little slice of Eden, or what you remember as being more perfect than it really was? But perfect Eden isn't there anymore. It's gone and just faint whispers of what used to be remain. And sometimes it's easy for us to get stuck trying to recapture the past. That's why people so, so often struggle during these holidays. They're trying to recapture the past, trying to get life, get meaning, get relationship, get understanding from a sense of who they are from the holidays, from being with things, but they can't recapture those things. And sometimes it results in pleasant nostalgia, but it can also result in sadness, sense of regret, loss, grief, hopelessness. We can't recapture what we feel like we once had for some, you can never break free from the past, and you, you feel like you'll never break free from the past, and you feel like all that's happened to you or that you've done, you can never move on. You and I need to see this passage from Revelation. We, we, we need to see a fresh vision of what God truly has for us, the perfect Eden that he has in store for us, and it's not any notion that We have. We're not living for recapturing our youth, recapturing the glory days, recapturing our idea of the perfect place, recapturing our ideas of how do we recreate this in our own families. And so often it leads to so much stress because we're trying to make a perfect family now because we never had one in the past. But I, I believe that God intends for us to see some things from this passage, that God has a perfect Eden for us. He has is, he is a perfect place, a perfect garden in store for all who have been saved by the lion of the tribe of Judah who has already conquered. He's conquered every sin, every evil power, and he's given us his life, he's given us his light, and, and, and I believe the main thing that God wants us to see today is that he has a perfect Eden in store. God has a perfect Eden in store for us, for you and I, and he, and he means for us to begin to enjoy that now. This is not just pie-in-the-sky theology. He has, a, he has a perfect Eden in store for us and he, he means for us to begin to enjoy that here and now and to let that give you joy and life and vibrancy and understanding and illumination and something to live for. Not stuck living in the past. He desires for us to live looking forward to his Eden. We'll have a perfect life. Did you hear that in the passages we read it? We'll have perfect life. We'll have have perfect relationship with God. We'll have perfect illumination, perfect light. We'll have his perfect purpose to live for. And we can live in this good, in the the good of this future down payment that we have here now. That's what this life is meant to be. This is us living in the good of the future down payment that that he's given to us already. We, We already have these things in part and then we'll have them fully. And meanwhile, we get to live life worshiping him now and inviting others into that worship. Look down at the very first verse. I love how it opens with such vivid imagery. It says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Now, if you remember in the previous passage just before this, in, in Revelation 21, God promised to give of the springs, and when I, I use the illustration of spring, there was a spring house we used to go to, and it was, it was small, it was fresh, it was refreshing, it was good. But now we see something even greater. We see a river, not just a spring of life, but a river of life, a river of the water of life, and it's bright as crystal. There's no pollution. It flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Revelation 21.6, God has said, to all who are thirsty, and we we ask the question, are you thirsty? To all who are thirsty, here's the promise, to all who are thirsty, I will give the springs of the water of life without charge. And now we see even greater than that, we see a whole river of life. What does God want us to see from this this imagery of this beautiful vision of the, the river of life and the tree of life and all that he has and the restoration in his leaves? He has something for us to see and apply now. He has us to see that we're meant to enjoy his perfect life. We're meant to enjoy his perfect life. Now, it's not our perfect life, it's his perfect life that we're meant to enjoy. We're meant to enjoy his perfect life. You know, for a couple years when I grew up, we had the privilege of living right on the Shenandoah River that, that goes through the Shenandoah Valley. And our backyard was a couple hundred yards down. Um, and you'd go right into the river's teeny little dock we had that was rickety. And, and we could go get in the river and on a warm, muggy Virginia summer day we would we would roll out the tubes and we'd dump in the river and we would we would roll down the river we we kind of meander down the river past these pastures and farms and beautiful forest and we kind of just take it easy enjoy the cool waters of the river if we got too hot we just dive in get back up on the tube it was relaxing it was refreshing it was invigorating. In his moments, it felt like all our cares were floating away. You know, what's your idea of a perfect life? What's your idea of a perfect life? I mean, if you could think just for a moment. You think, what, what, what would be a perfect life? Maybe it's, it's a life with no pain, right? Maybe you have physical pain that you're enduring now. We'll have that perfect life with no pain, Maybe, maybe you think a perfect life is free from worries or concerns. Well, we'll have that. We've already been told that. There'll be no pain. There'll be no more concerns, no more worries. We've already seen that in Revelation. Maybe you think a perfect life is free from needs. Well, we'll have that. We'll have no needs. That would be nice. Driving down the, the highway, looking up and seeing those billboards of for the mega millions and the Powerball. I think that'd be nice to have no needs. We'll have all of our needs met. But whatever you're thinking about, when you think about a perfect life, maybe you think about just peace, safety, comfort, freedom. What do you think of when you think of a perfect life? I want to submit to you that I think most of us, when we think of a perfect life, our vision is way too small. Our vision is way too small. Our vision is way too confined You see, I can only imagine what God desires for us when he talks about us enjoying a river filled with the water of life, a whole river of the water of life. What was that meant to conjure up? It's meant to to conjure up a a notion of this never-ending flow of everlasting life that flows right from God himself, this abundant, clear, crystal clear, sparkling, pure life. I think we make God too small. We make life in Him too small. He has abundant life for us in every way. True, what do we want to see here? True refreshment comes from God, from His throne. It says the river's flowing from His throne. What have we seen that? True refreshment coming from Him. We see the idea of true rest coming from Him, true peace coming from Him, true satisfaction, true fulfillment coming from Him true quenching of thirst and it'll never stop flowing. Why? Because he is eternal life himself. Don't make your view of what God has in store for you too small. His life is what sustains our life. It will nourish and cherish and water us forevermore. And and that's this perfect life that we see. It's This perfect life is, is himself, the spirit. It flows from the throne and from the Lamb, from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And if you remember when Jesus was talking about this water in John 4, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, he's speaking to the woman at the well. He says, who's saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water for whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Can you imagine that, never thirsting again? Never wanting refreshment because you are continually refreshed. Never needing because you, your needs are all satisfied. Never never wanting for anything because all of your wants are fulfilled in him. Not in things, but in God. Later in John's Gospel, in John 7, it says, John 7, 37, the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cries out. You imagine Jesus crying out, the shock it would have been to them. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit hadn't been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When this river of life we see, it's the Holy Spirit. So we can begin to enjoy that life now as we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Don't minimize God's ability even now to fill you with the life-giving Spirit that he has for you. But, but look at the consequences of this, this, this river flowing through the middle of the street. Look in verse two. The city's revolving around the river. This river going down the middle of the street, and I, and I know that my family, we love to go downtown to Greenville, and we like to, to walk by the Reedy River and some beautiful paths there, and it's refreshing, and it's invigorating, and it's peaceful, and it's nice, but you know what? The Reedy's polluted. This river is crystal clear. What does that mean? There's nothing to pollute it. There's no pollution, no stain, nothing impure in any way. This is complete and utter life. I love what Grant Osborne says, the background's not only Genesis, but Ezekiel 47, where a river flows from the south, the altar in the new temple and turns everything it touches fresh, even salt water, so that living creatures and fish flourish. Maybe, Maybe you're... Your life feels a little like salt water right now. Maybe your life feels a little impure. It feels like it's a little dry. We, we have this beautiful picture. This is not just the Garden of Eden. This is not just the picture of water flowing from the temple. This is even greater than that. This is even greater than the Garden of Eden and the river there. This is a river that flows from the throne of God. You know, I used to think, oh, man, what would it have been like if we lived in the Garden of Eden? You ever think that? Anybody ever think that? Hey, what would it have been like to live in the Garden of Eden? Can you imagine that? Have everything you want and need? But you know what? This image here is greater than the Garden of Eden. This makes Eden look pale. This this is greater than the Garden of Eden. This, This water, the river of life, constantly flowing, never stopped. We had a tree in Eden. Now we see trees lining the boulevard of this river. We see, we see trees lining either side, so on either side of the river, look down at verse 2, on either side of the river, the tree of life, and I can imagine trees, the tree of life just on either side, all the way down the banks of the river. This is life in abundance. The first time in Scripture we were going to introduce the tree of life was back in the creation account in Genesis 2, 9. It says, out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree is present, pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. But where this was, that was a, a literal river that was enjoyable. Now God has a little river of his life. But do you remember what God commanded Adam in, in Genesis? He says in Genesis 2, Lord God commanded a man saying, you should surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. There, wasn't, there was just one tree they couldn't eat from, one tree they couldn't have the fruit of, knowledge of good and evil, because eating it would bring death. But in the most horrible account ever recorded, Adam and Eve, they listened to the deceptive voice, this voice of darkness, the serpent, and they did the one thing they were commanded not to do. And because of their sin, both male and female were cursed, and the ground was cursed. But God had mercy on them. He clothed their nakedness. And then mercifully, you remember the other picture we have after, after that? He sends man out of the garden, and he does something. Look, at, look in Genesis three twenty two. It says, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. And the implication is live forever in sin. Lest he do that, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the Garden of Eden. He placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And ever since then, the entire Bible has been all about the curse and what does it look like to live under the curse and what is God's plan to redeem us from the curse. And now we see in this last two chapters of Revelation, the the beginning chapters of genesis and now in the last two chapters of revelation god completely redeeming the curse and completely making all things new the culmination of all god's plans the angels had guarded the way to the tree of life but now god says no more is the way blocked i'm going to not only am i going to allow you to eat of the tree of life there's going to be a river flowing through the garden a river of life there's going to be trees planted down either side. There's an abundance of life. Now there's 12 kinds of fruit, perfect fruit ripe in every season. You know I, I love fruit trees, but the problem is they're only, only around for about a month of the year. And so Paul, John is giving us this imagery and saying, no, every month of the year is going to be filled with this fruit. Every month, a new fruit. Every month, new fruit. It's not, not ever go old. We can always partake of the tree of life. And he says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And it's really a fulfillment of Ezekiel 47. In his vision, he says, On the banks, on both sides of the river, they will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. It's like healing, soothing medicinal leaves. They're therapeutic. is for the healing of the nations. They don't, they're health giving. It's not like they're correcting think because nothing bad exists in heaven. But it's giving us a picture of the fact that, that all the nations are healed by God's tree of life. There's no longer divisions between nations. There's no longer divisions between ethnicities. All the nations are healed. This is the complete restoration after all the curse of Babylon for man's pride and man was divided. Everything that divides will be healed with this tree of life. No such thing as division in heaven. Are you living like you have this life now? Do you live like this is already true and that is where you will be? Are you tasting God's life for you now by the Spirit? Are you living in, life, uh, in light of heaven now? Where do you seek life? So often we can seek life in so many superficial things and in career and accolades and established being established in in education and in money and success and relationships in health and the right kind of eating the right kind of exercise and looks and in all these other things in comfort where do you look for life Why is this passage here? It's meant for us to long for the life we have in him and then realize he has already begun to give us this life now and that is what we're living for to reorient our vision so that we're not living for all these lesser things but we live for his life here and now. How do we we drink of these streams today? We drink of those streams in the way that Psalms tells us. Psalms 1 Psalm 1 tells us, in Psalm 1, 1 and 3, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, what? but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. How do you begin to live in the good of the life God has for you now? You plant yourself by the streams of water that God has for us in his word. Are you planting yourself in those streams now? Do you know that one day you're going to enjoy the river of life and so I'm going to be planted right now and point to that river of life for everyone around? God's letting us know he has a new and he's going to better Eden for us. And we can be sure that as we trust in Jesus alone and root ourselves in his word, he is going to cause us to be like that tree in Psalm planted by streams of water. You feel like you're not yielding fruit? feel like you're withering? Plant yourself in streams of living water. Experience the refreshment that he has for you. Thirst for God and he will fill you. You can't earn it. Your thirst is quenched because God is the thirst giver. You can't qualify yourselves by letting go by any form of religion. We're we're qualified by Jesus and the fact that he's conquered. We're gonna enjoy his perfect life. We're gonna enjoy that, and it's meant for us to long for that today. Are you longing for that life or are you seeking it somewhere else? Now that we enjoy his life, we're gonna be in his presence and we're gonna experience perfect relationship. We're gonna be in his presence, we're gonna experience perfect relationship. It's what we see in verses three and four. We're meant to enjoy his perfect relationship. Now, what's your idea of a perfect relationship? You have something in mind? Think about it for a second. What's your idea of a perfect relationship? Is this somebody who just doesn't bother you? Is that the is at the bar? Somebody who doesn't annoy me. That that might be where you start. Somebody you can just be myself with. Okay, that's good. You know, somebody who makes me happy. Well, okay, but that's not gonna that's not gonna always happen. Somebody who makes me laugh, well, that's kind of superficial, not bad. What's your idea of a perfect relationship? Did you know that we were meant for a relationship with God? That is the relationship that's meant to fulfill us. Every other relationship really is, is meant to point for our true longing for the real relationship that we're meant to have. And there won't be anything accursed in this new heaven. There'll be nothing to separate us. Why does it tell us that? Nothing accursed, no results of the curse. Nothing accursed in us, nothing accursed in creation, nothing to separate us from him. No accursed one to tempt us. But here's what will be in verse three, the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Look in verse four, they will see his face. They will see his face, look in verse four, and his name will be on their foreheads. After after Adam and Eve sinned, you know no one could look on God's face and live. Not even the great Moses, he was not allowed to look on God's face. God was like, yeah Moses, you don't know what you're asking for, that will kill you. What I'm gonna do is I'll put my hand over your eyes and I'll kind of pass by. I'll give you a vision of myself as limited and I will blind you a little so that you are not dead. Dead. But what Moses was longing for to see God's face is, is really what all of us truly long for. We, we want a perfect relationship, but it was never meant for us to find fulfillment and perfect relationship in the people around us. If, if you are marrying someone because you think that relationship will fulfill you, you have a surprise coming. If you have kids because you think, hey, I can have a perfect relationship with them because I don't have it with my spouse, but maybe I'll have it with my kids, you got a surprise coming. If you think that, you know what, I'm going to have the best friends, and then, hey, maybe you have in your 20s, you had the best friends ever, but then life starts to get busy. You get married, you have kids, and you realize those relationships just aren't there anymore, and you're trying to reclaim those things. You're looking for a perfect relationship yet again. Outside of God, you're going you're to be surprised. If you're looking for perfect relationships in the church, you're going to be disappointed. You might have already been disappointed. You might currently be disappointed. I'm not saying you shouldn't pursue those God-glorifying relationships and have fellowship together and walk in the light. What I'm saying is don't ever look for relationships with people to truly satisfy. We're meant, we're built, we were built, we were designed for a relationship with God to see his face. And ever since Adam and Eve, we've been separated and something's been wrong. But now God says, no longer, no longer. You can. You, we've, we've seen the face of Jesus. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. But yet, only in, in, in part, And in full revelation will come We'll see him face to face. Nothing hindering us. Nothing getting between us. No circumstance, no situation, nothing physical, nothing nothing spiritual getting between us. You know, God sent his son so that they might see the father and yet God's own people didn't recognize God in the face of Jesus. Instead, what do they do? They spit in his face. I don't think that That's the only way that people could spit in Jesus' face. I think we can spit in his face when we say, Jesus, you're not good enough. Instead, I want other relationships more. Man spits in the face of Jesus, and yet that was part of his plan so that Jesus could present us before God's face in eternal life. Matthew 26 says in verse 67 Then they spat in his face, and they beat him with their fists, and others slapped him. And you think, I would never do that. But we do, and we say, "You're not good enough. You're not what we were looking for. You're not what we were longing for." And we want those relationships in other places to really be fulfilling to us. And and yet, Jesus came to take that sin on Himself. He bore our sins. He bore the abuse. He bore the rejection, and then He died, the death that we deserve. Why? So that he might, in verse 4, present us to God that we might see his face, and we will see his face. It's like Paul writes in Corinthians, when the perfect comes then we'll see him, we'll no longer know in part and see in part, we'll see face to face, the ultimate height of God's blessing. Think about it for a second. If you think, well, I'm not really sure that's such a great thing to see God face to face. Think about that for a second. What does it mean to see God face to face? It means that we will have a perfect relationship with the eternal creator of all. The the one who knows all things. The one who is the perfect idea of all perfection in every way. Perfect beauty, perfect refreshment, perfect life, perfect wisdom, perfect majesty, the limitless perfection of all that is good. Who wouldn't want to spend eternity getting to know God? Heaven's not boring. It will never, never be exhausted. The seeing him face to face will never get old. The reason why we think it might is because we're used to seeing people. And sometimes we don't like looking at each other's faces, right? you're like, I just need to get alone. I don't want to look at these people anymore. Because you imagine a relationship that never exhausts and only refreshes. That's what we'll have. We'll see his face. But not only that, his name will be on our foreheads. What does that mean? Back in Exodus 28, 36, the high priest Aaron, he wore a headdress on his head, and on it was written something. On that high priest's headdress was written, it says, holy to the Lord, holy to Yahweh. His name was written on his forehead. And so now, what do we see here? We see that God's name is written on our foreheads. What does is, what is that meant to communicate to us? That, that we now no longer go through anyone else, but we can come boldly into his presence, into his holy of holies, rendering service like priests. But it also means that we're his. You belong to him. You're in perfect relationship with God. He protects us. We bear his name. Do you, do you feel unsafe? We'll have perfect relationship. Do you feel like you don't belong? You have perfect relationship with him. Do you wonder if he'll protect you, if he'll keep you? His name is written on your head. And one day, you'll see him face to face, enjoying his perfect relationship. And that's what it's that meant to do. It's meant to make us seek him now. Stop living for other relationships. Stop trying to find life somewhere else and stop trying to live for relationships that don't satisfy. I'm not saying give up relating to people. That's not the message here, okay? Don't become a hermit and go off and live on your own. Like, hey, Matt said that, hey, we're not supposed to live for other relationships, so you know what? I'm ditching them all. That's not it at all. God made it for us to be in communion with each other so we can learn more about him. So we can glorify Him, we can enjoy those relationships, we're meant to enjoy those relationships, but ultimately we enjoy those relationships as we bring Him into those relationships. And are you seeking Him now? Are you seeking the comfort, the the protection, the safety in Him? It's meant to inform every relationship that we have Now look at verse 5. There's dramatic change that God is pointing out, John is pointing out as well. He says something. He says, night will be no more. So we've seen here that that God, he desires perfect life for us, a perfect relationship for us. But now we all see we're meant to enjoy his perfect light. There's not going to be any more night. No more night. At the Columbia Zoo, we, we go to the Columbia Zoo once in a while. and. you can go to the barnyard area. And in the barnyard area, they have these little holes in the wall that are kind of obscured by felt, is black felt. And they're little small holes. And you can just get your hand through there. And inside the hole, there's a box. And you don't know what those things in the box are. And sometimes it feels a little creepy. You're not exactly sure what that is. It's obscured. It's dark in there. You can't see that. Have you ever played that game when you were growing up in youth or something and they blindfolded you and you had to put your hand in a bowl and figure out what things were? I love the imagery here. There'd be no more night. Sometimes life feels like you're sticking your hand in a dark box trying to figure things out and you really don't know what things are. You really can't see things. And sometimes life feels that way. It feels dark. It feels obscure, doesn't it? Anybody ever feel like, I'm not exactly sure. Things feel dark and obscured. I don't know the way. I don't know how to get there sometimes. Sometimes my path is not clear, right? You ever feel that way? I don't know which way to go. I feel like I'm walking around in the dark with a blindfold arm and, and trying to figure out, what is this? Now, what, is this? Now, what is this? What is this? What is parenting like? What's, what's a relationship like? What, what's my job supposed to be like? And you don't know exactly, no. In the first creation, think about it, there was still Night. Yes, everything was good, but there was still, night existed. God allowed the great dragon, the serpent, the devil, to tempt and accuse and harass. And throughout the Bible, night is used often as a metaphor. And and all throughout the Bible seen as a metaphor. It's, It's a time when work ceases. It's a time when... Death happens. A time of night, time of darkness is for de- time for deeds of sin and shame. Is a time of darkness. It's a time of moral stupidity. A time when we're weary and the drunken give themselves up to slumber. But here is the thing we're seeing now: as God removes all those things, and no longer, unlike even Eden, there'll be no more night. What a wonderful thing to think about. Not even a hint of temptation, not a hint of darkness, not a hint of death or sin or shame or stupidity or weariness. No night, nothing to cloud our vision. See clearly. Not confused any longer. Because sometimes, I, I don't know if you experience this, sometimes life's confusing. But here's what God has He has His light for us. And this is what, what John declared way back in, in his epistle. In 1 John 1, he said, in 1 John 1:15, 1 this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light. God himself is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. And if you're a Christian, God has already called you out of darkness and into what? Into his light. Absolutely, into his marvelous light. I love that. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As you believe in him. So we're in his light now, if we're in Christ Jesus, yet in this world, we're also told to what? To walk in the what? Walk in the light as he is in the light. And as we do, we shine the light of Jesus into the places of spiritual darkness. We can begin to experience this light even now. Enjoy his light. Enjoy the light that he's already illuminated us. He's already opened up our eyes. He's already made clear who he is. And and as we feast on him, as we soak in him, as we see his word, his word is like what? A lamp to our feet and a light to our path. John 8 tells us if we follow Jesus, we won't walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. And Ephesians 5, 8, Paul says, for you, the apostle says, for you were formerly darkness. Not just you were formerly in darkness. Did you see that? Well, you were formerly darkness. You were the antithesis of God. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light. Your whole nature has been redefined. You were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then he explains what that looks like. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We walk in the light even now. We say, you know what, God? One day we're going to enjoy your perfect light. No more darkness. And in light of that, today I want to walk out goodness and righteousness and truth, living by your word. Why? So we can glorify him and bring others to the light. And then another key means of light. In 1 John, same guy who wrote down these words in our Revelation, in 1 John he says that we have fellowship with him and that we walk in the light now. In 1 John 1, we walk in the light as we have fellowship with one another. As we share the light of God with each other, we actually begin to walk in the light. As we, as we help each other walk as we ought, as we encourage each other in the walk, and sometimes supporting and sometimes holding each other up is what fellowship looks like, We all because we're children of the light now. Until then, we, we look forward to that day in Matthew 13 that it talks about. It says, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's what we saw in Jesus when he was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And Matthew wrote about it. Matthew says, and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became white as light. John wrote about it. John 1.9, he says, that was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Have you been enlightened by Jesus? Has he shined his light on you? Has he illuminated your vision so you can see clearly? If so, he intends for you to walk in his light. Are you walking in the good of his light now? One day we want to pray for guidance. There'll be no, no need for light of lamp or sun, but God will be his light, our light, and they will reign forever and ever. No lack of clarity, no misunderstanding, no lack of perception, but how do we live in that good now? We soak in, we, we, we apply God's word to our lives. We're transformed as our minds are renewed with the light of his word. You feel like you're unclear about life Go to his word. You feel like things are dark? You're not sure what you should be doing with your life? Go to his word. We can do this knowing that God's going to light our minds because we no longer are darkness, but now we are light. It's meant to make us seek his light now. If we were built to, to enjoy perfect life, perfect relationship and perfect life, why not begin enjoying that now? It's meant to be a foretaste for us to say, you know what? It's like an appetizer, and I just, I can't wait for the full meal. Now, did you notice something earlier at the end of verse 3? And again in verses 8 and 9. John sees that his servants will worship God, and then John is corrected in verses 8 and 9 for not worshiping God. And what does God want us to see there? He wants us to see that we're meant to enjoy his perfect worship. We're not just meant to enjoy his perfect life, his perfect relationship, his perfect light, but we're also meant to enjoy his perfect worship. When you think of worship, what immediately comes to mind? What comes to mind for you? Think for a second. When you think the word worship, what do you think? Anybody? Shout it out. It's okay. A little interactive right now. What do you think when you hear the word worship? Singing. Music. Maybe lifting your hands, right? A choir, you know, maybe jamming music, whatever, the idea of never ending worship is what we see here, and we were made for worship. But let me ask you something. Does the idea of never ending worship how do you react to that? You know, does that does that bore you? Maybe it's because you don't understand what you're made for. You don't understand perfect worship. You know, for for many, worship is something we do. We move on to other things. We're never meant to move on from worship. We're meant to, to experience more and more of worship in every area of our lives. Worship is not just what we do when we sing on Sunday mornings, when we raise our hand. It is that, but it's more than that. It's not just what we do when we sit here and we listen to God's word being preached. It is that, but it's more than that. It's also what you do tomorrow morning when you go to work and you say, God, I'm going to do this because I want to honor you. I want to reflect you. I want to shine forth your name because I want others to enjoy you that is worship and and, and those words. this 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 time when we'll experience true worship is not it's not far away we can be sure they'll happen look in verse six it says is trustworthy is true and it must soon take place and then in verse seven he says behold i'm coming soon now, that was written a couple thousand years ago. And you think, well, what's the deal with that? Well, when he's, he's talking about coming soon, it's the idea of imminence. In comparison to this life, he's coming soon. His return is imminent. What's once been veiled has now been unveiled. And it will soon be fully, fully seen by all of us. All of us who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. But how does this passage just affect us? And you're like, yeah, that's great, but it's just all about heaven. How does this affect me now? It's not meant to be pie in the sky. It's, not, it's meant to be reality that enables us to hang on to the present, knowing that he holds us in the, now and he holds us in the future. It's a glimpse of reality that, that how, what, how is this making a difference for you? How should this make a difference for me? It should, it's meant to protect us from the lies of the evil one that tells us that life is found in other places. That, that true relationship will fulfill us in, in other places and it's not God. It, it's meant to counter the lies of the evil one that, that tells us that we can't be sure. It's a glimpse of reality that's meant to be held on to, kept in a million practical ways. By, by worshiping God in all of our life, through all of our life, with all of our life. And what does he say down in the end of verse 7? He says, blessed is the one who keeps the words, the prophecy of this book. Don't ever believe the lie that revelation is unrelatable. Don't ever believe the lie, it's not practical. This, this book, it applies to every area of our life today. And all the temptations, all the challenges you are facing currently as you sit there right now trying to stay awake. All the temptations you're going to face tomorrow morning. It helps us address all the cultural, all the modern issues of our lives because it's timeless. It reveals truths about Jesus, about the world around us, about the devil, about what Jesus came to do, what he's doing now, and and what we're called to live for. And it's meant to give us endurance and sustenance and encouragement and hope. And so John starts to get all these things. And how does he respond? Look down at verse 8. John John starts to get all these things. The, the wonder of the fact that we're meant to enjoy perfect life and, and perfect relationship and perfect light and perfect worship. And John sees all these things. He sees perfect life. And he's like, man, this is awesome. He sees the perfect light of God. Wow, I can't wait for that. He sees, he sees that we'll get to worship him perfectly, that we'll be in perfect relationship with God. And John is undone. <coughs> Look in verse 8, though. How does he respond? He sees the truth that this angel revealed to him, and he begins to do something. He gets it wrong. You know, but before you think, well, John, how could you? Remember for a second who this is, right? This is John. He walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus face to face. He, he now is seeing these wonderful visions, and he still gets it wrong when he, he hears this wonderful news from this angel teaching him, sowing things to him from Jesus. He's, this angel reveals things to him about Jesus, about God. And, and John's like, whoa, these things are amazing. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna worship you right now because this is so amazing. Thank you for this truth. And, and why, does, why does God have that for us? Why did God put that there? Why did God give us that vision? And, and, and in verse three, he talks about God's saints will worship him, and then, but then John's not doing that. He's worshiping an angel. And then God corrects him. This angel corrects him and says, no, 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 you're getting it wrong again. Worship God. Why? Because we tend to do that too. We tend to worship other people. We tend to worship angels, spiritual leaders. No matter how great someone might seem to be, we can tend to worship all kinds of other things. What do you worship? What are you tempted to worship? What good gifts from God are you tempted to bow down to instead of God? The angel corrects John and looked down at verse 9 and says, You must not do that. Don't ever worship a fellow servant of God, even if they're an angel. Even angels are fellow servants to us and the prophets. And if anybody, an angel, a prophet, an apostle like John or any Christian leader translates or enables you to understand something, we're not meant to worship them. We're meant to worship God. We have a faith that is not so easily shaken that it will be thwarted by people we worship failing. Because you know what, if you, if you go after any other person, any other thing and worship, it will fail. They will fail you. We're not told in, in the Bible to be of Paul or Apollos or John or John Piper or John MacArthur or... Matthew or Matt Chandler or Aaron or me or Beth Moore or Jen Wilkin or Ann Graham or whoever you're tempted to esteem highly or John Erickson, Tata, K. Arthur, Tim Keller, I don't know, I'm just listing off people. Alistair Begg, David Jeremiah, Spurgeon, Calvin, Luther, whoever else may bring God's word. What do we, what do we have to see here? All of us are equal. Everyone who keeps the words of the book are equal before God, equally called to do what? To worship Him alone is what we're built for. Don't don't follow after other worship the early church needed to hear all these things the early church needed to know that their life was in him and that they had perfect life waiting for them because life's not perfect now and they could have hope in this life because they already have a foretaste of life they needed to know not just is their perfect life but there's a perfect relationship why because their relationships fail just like ours do They they needed to know that they could have perfect light because their life seemed unclear and they couldn't see the way to go. And what does this mean, God? All of our friends are dying and they're getting persecuted and we're about to be put to death. Does that mean you've left us? And he says, no, you have perfect light And, and walk in that light now. And then... And then they were tempted to go after idols, right? You know the story of Revelation. They were tempted to, hey, you know what? Why don't we sacrifice to these other gods? Um, And it won't really mean anything. We'll kind of put our fingers behind our backs, cross our fingers, and we'll pretend because we don't really mean it, but that way we'll get business and we'll get money and we'll get all these things. And God says, no, don't worship those things. What about worshiping Caesar? That's not bad, right? Because he'll give us good things. He says, no, you must not do that. What about an angel? That's not bad. God, you sent the angels. No, there's only one who's worthy of true worship and it's no other idol, no success, no acceptance or people, or relationships or emperor, not the government or world leaders, angels, prophets, anybody else is worthy of worship and we're not meant to worship that. We'll, get, we'll go astray, we must not do that. We get to enjoy his perfect worship now. We get to live our lives as what? In Romans 12 it says, as a living Sacrifice. Present our bodies as living sacrifices. Worship, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're, not, trans, we're not, not conformed to this world, but we're transformed by what? Renewing our minds. I love there's a book. I'm sure you've heard this illustration before, but it doesn't get old for me. There's one of my favorite books in C.S. Lewis' The Chronicles of Narnia is the, the Last Battle. Anybody here ever read The Last Battle? If you've not, go ahead and, go ahead and read it. Actually, start with the first one, read all of them, and then read the last battle. It, it's, it's this wonderful image of the new Eden that awaits. Now, I don't think he got it quite right because it's far greater than what he even pictured. But this just gives us a little taste. He says, is talking to Lucian to Edmund. He says, it's as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you'll get some idea of it if you think like this. You may have been in a room where there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea, or maybe a green valley that wound away among mountains. And in the wall of that room opposite the window, there may have been a looking glass or a mirror. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass. And, and the sea and the mirror, the valley in the mirror, were. In one sense, just the same as the real ones, yet at the same time, there was somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story, in a story you've never heard but very much want to know. He says, the difference between old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you'll know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed. And then he cried, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this one. Come further up. Come further in. And then later we see at the last page of the book, Lucy is still hesitant she doesn't seem fully joyful yet. And Aslan, the great lion is meant to symbolize Jesus. He notices and he says, You do not look so happy yet as I meant you to be, said Aslan. Lucy said, We are so afraid still of being sent away, Aslan. You sent us back into our own world so often. And Aslan says, No fear of that. Have you not guessed? And then their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. There was a railway Accident, accident a real railway accident said Aslan softly your father and mother and all of you are as you used to call it in the shadowlands dead the term is over the holidays have begun the dream is ended this is the morning and as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them, and for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all live happily ever after, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at least, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. What does God want us to see from this passage? I believe he wants us to see that we're meant to enjoy his perfect life, his perfect relationship, his perfect worship, and his perfect Eden that's in store for us. We're meant to enjoy that not only in eternity, but we're meant to begin to enjoy that today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the gifts that you have given to us. Thank you that you, Jesus, are true life, that you are true light, that we can be in relationship with you and we can worship you here and now. God, I pray that we would enjoy you perfect life. God, for all those who do not know you, I pray they, they would turn to you in repentance and in faith, repenting of all of our sins and trusting in you for life. God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us here your fresh life in the Spirit that you would light up and illuminate us, Lord, with your word, that we would be excited about your life and you're excited about the light of your word, Lord, that we would enjoy the relationship that we have with you now, Lord, that we would begin to worship you in all of life and all of this longing for, looking forward to the true Eden, the perfect Eden that you have in store for us.